me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome to the second episode of the Greengrass and White Bases podcast. Um, just to kick off here, I have my brother Danny joining us. He's going to play somewhat of a co-host role here on the show. And uh, after our inaugural episode that debuted earlier in the week, uh, we're excited to have him on. We're excited to be on location here at the Baseball Warehouse, a place that's meant so much to us in our baseball journey. And, uh, and uh, you know, nowadays it's, it's meaning something to more and more kids along the way. So we're super excited to be here. Um, Danny's just recovering from a leg injury, first day back throwing. I've been doing my throwing program just to kind of keep the arm healthy, stay in it. I was missing the game a little bit. So even in retirement here, I'm trying to keep the arm healthy, um, have some fun with it, do some stuff, keep myself in shape. Uh, can't let the, uh, the coach's body creep in on me too quickly here. Um, as a reference to my introduction with the good evening and welcome, and as a reference to our podcast title here, Green Grass and White Bases, I need to give a shout out to our dad, affectionately known as JR around our circles usually. Um, John Reardon, dad has been the uh, the inspiration for the title of the podcast name. He's been working on his memoir here for about 27 years. Um, for reference, I'm 25 in December, Danny just turned 22. So he's uh, he's been working on his memoir, which he has only had confidence in the title of green grass and white bases so quick shout out to jr the man the myth the legend um for inspiring us with the uh with the title of our selection here so daddy i know uh i know i flew solo on the uh on the intro podcast here on episode one and i kind of introduced myself and took everybody through my story so that took me just about an hour obviously that's what uh that's what we're going to go for with our whole time frame here and i hope we talk about more than just you but um I'm really good at just talking about me. I might go an hour 15 if we go there. Well, listen, if it happens, it happens, and we'll freestyle it along the way, and we'll make some stuff happen. Um, but, yeah, I just think, you know, making your first appearance here on uh, GGWB, um, give the people some background. Let them know what you're about. Tell them a little bit about your story. Yeah, so uh, Danny Reardon, I'm glad to be at least part co-host. I missed the first episode, but I'm here now. Uh, while we're in the Baseball Warehouse, member of the first Baseball Warehouse summer baseball team, um, I remember showing up here one time and talking to Joe Augustine, our director. He goes, what position do you play? And I said, short and third base. He says, you pitch? And I said, no. And he goes, well, now you do. And uh, all these years later, probably seven or eight years later, I'm still pitching in college. I play at Rutgers Newark with uh, my pitching coach right here. Um, fifth year, second year captain. I am in grad school. I finished my undergrad on time. Uh, I don't know if you said that you did, but that's a lie if you did. Uh, man, academically, I've done pretty well. I was a Harvard Graduate School intern for two years as a research assistant, published some research during uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, one of the cooler experiences of my life outside of baseball. Uh, other than year, uh, other than that, a year of a year and a half now, I think, closing in on uh, asset protections between the two biggest retail stores in the world, Walmart and Target. Uh, some crazy stories, some crazy people, some great stuff, and a lot, a lot, a lot of boring days behind cameras. It is great, and I love it. That's why I still do it full-time while I'm in school. Um, on the baseball field, uh, right-handed pitcher, same thing I've always done. Like you said, just a couple minutes ago, recovering from a leg injury. I uh, decided to try my hand in the outfield one day and cracked a nice piece of my fibula right in two. Luckily, not weight-bearing bone. I've been out for about six, seven weeks now, so I'm getting back into it, jogged for the first time today. It hurt really bad still, but... We're making progress. We got 11 weeks until the season, and I fully anticipate being ready. My arm feels good. Participated in the throwing program today. 
I guess that's the short version. I can send soon to about two minutes. I could go on, but those are those are the key points. Two-time uh, first-team on Jack academic too. Maybe not on the field, but getting it done in the classroom. Yeah, awesome. I mean, it's great. It's great to sit here and reminisce and kind of go through those stories and just understand how much of a role places like the baseball warehouse and Rutgers Newark have have played in our life. Um, a little bit in my introduction, just to bring you up to speed, I talked about you know the role that North Brunswick played and the role that Rutgers University and New Brunswick played in our upbringing. Um, obviously, we have the same parents, so that story doesn't really differ as much as I was running around the dugout under Coach Hill with all those Rutgers greats. Uh, Danny was right there with me, so that was a lot of fun. A quick little anecdote there that some people might enjoy is that um, somebody in our circles always tells a story about how um, – when we were really young, we took a trip out to Louisville. We were down there for the weekend, and about halfway through a game, my mom said she wanted to go check out Churchill Downs, and I said, there's no effing way I'm leaving the dugout. <laughs> and Danny went to see a couple horse races. So I have never been to Churchill Downs in my entire life up to this point, even though I've lived longer than him. That's something that Danny's gotten to experience. Oh, yeah. But um, tab that how, however you might when it comes to our baseball prowess. Um, as much as he's still playing, and I, I talk a lot about how I'm washed up now and he gets to hold that over me, I always like to make sure to remind him that my fastball velo is still better than his. So, um, you know, as much as I want to say I'm just, you know, trying to keep my body in shape and stay healthy when it comes to starting up the stowing program again, um, I don't really want to be at a point where he can say that his fastball is harder than mine. He felt so, the pressure coming this past year. I had a nice spike after a good couple off seasons. So he heard he heard the footsteps behind him. He got back in after me. So it's going to be a good partnership this winter to throw, and we'll see who comes out on top. I still got one good year left. Yeah, I mean nothing really changes, right? When we're growing up, and you got to get yourself to college, you have me breathing down your neck, applying pressure, okay. and you earn yourself a role at a college program, and then I come back in as your pitching coach, and suddenly your you know your velo goes up, and you feel the pressure again. <laughs> but it's been an interesting little role reversal here for me to take a year off and kind of sit on the sidelines and watch him and coach him, and then for uh, for for. My, from my perspective, seeing his uh, his numbers go up on the radar gun was a little bit intimidating for me. So interesting, uncharted waters for me here, but it's really exciting to get back into it and to be able to be at this stage in our lives and still be able to get into an awesome place like this that we grew up at and to still be able to play catch with each other. Um, I'm sure when we were growing up, Joe Ogg would be, would be upset with us and Coach Carlotti would be upset with us if we said we wanted to be here at 9.15 at night, but it's... Uh, <laughs> It's nice when you get a little bit older and they give you a little more responsibility and you can have some fun hanging out at the baseball warehouse. Yeah, you somehow get from the crew that's in here at 5.15 hoping that Coach Joe woke up to his alarm and all of a sudden you're in here at 9.15 on the complete back end of the day, you know, talking to the computer and all these people listening. So it's good It's good to be on this side too, especially still playing but being a coach at the warehouse. You know, I, I grew in this program. I attribute a ton of my success on the field to – the coaches, the facilities, and everything the baseball warehouse is about. And to get my first taste of coaching this past summer and this past fall, it's just – I think it's helped my playing career too. It's a lot of different perspective. But being able to carry the values that I was raised on into a new generation. I'm coaching one of the younger teams in our program. And it's – I could never imagine if I was as good as half of these guys at 14, 15 years old in eighth grade. And just to be a part of teaching them the ways that – the baseball warehouse has always done it the way that I've always been taught to do it. It's uh, it's awesome to see them grow even in a short time. Like, we made huge strides, and I take it with me a lot because I'd come in here for practice, I'd come in here for lift, and all these guys are beating me here and leaving after me. And it's like, wow, this is just awesome to see it grow. You know, it was a three batting cage, zero gym place. Then we were taking apart the batting cage and putting up a gym every day. And 
seeing all these kids benefit from where it has come from in my plenty of years here. It's, it's awesome to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it earlier in the week where, um, I'm fortunate enough that I get to coach the 2025 team and the 2027s here at the baseball warehouse. And uh, it was fun this summer. So in the spring, those guys um, with their middle school schedule in the springtime, they can still play travel games in the spring. And then once the summer season rolled around and the schedule got a little bit busier with the high school guys jumping in, Danny kind of took the reins of that 2027 team. So um, I guess share a little bit from your perspective what that what that's like to kind of as you're as you're still playing to be thrown into a coaching role like that and to kind of be able to have have an opportunity to impart some knowledge, mold these guys and also what what type of what type of perspective does it give you where you're still wrapped up in it and you know what it feels like to be on that playing side while you're on that coaching side at the same time. Yeah, it's definitely a definitely a really unique thing and I mean, I I've never coached before. You know, I've sat around and been the assistant coach, a first base coach at a couple of North Brunswick High School summer games, but nothing really hands-on like I was with the warehouse this year. And, I mean, coming from a player where it's just go, go, go every day, and, you know, a lot of it is just self-responsibility. All of a sudden, it's a group of, I think it was 13 guys this summer under your wing, and a lot of them are looking at you for what do I do, how do I manage this. And it's a big period of time where they're learning about themselves as players, and we're trying to manage so that, all these guys can develop, get stronger, get a lot of swings, get a lot of reps. And, you know, it it's a really fun process to see them, you know, sometimes you're stuck with nine guys and you got to go throw your pitcher in center field and your shortstop behind the plate. And you, it's fun to see all of them embrace the challenge because as a player, that's something that I show up and we have to do every single day. And, like, I know that part of it. I'm still living it. And to see that these kids embrace it just as much as guys I see every day in a college program, I just know that they're on a – on a really good track and they have really good mindsets that, you know, it's, it's fun to see more and more kids with that like-mindedness grind where it's just, I'm playing baseball today and I'm here and I'm going to get my stuff done. And coming in here the extra day is when it's 90 degrees in the summer and we're running outside and we're coming in here and these guys are goblet squatting and split squat and getting, getting their bodies and swings right guys are in here two, three hours a day when, you know, they could just go run around and bike with their friends. But, um, you know, getting to see these kids take their opportunity in a world where they're so dependent on the world around them too, where, you know, baseball might not be the entire thing when you're 14, you're still growing up where I'm, I'm 22 and I like living on campus at a college and I'm playing baseball twice a day, three hours at a time where these kids are like, this is just their thing. And it's their escape from everything. Just like it's mine. It's a, it's a kid's game. Like everybody says, you know, the more I get older, the more these kids are getting older, it's still the same baseball. And it's still having that spark and having that release. That's it's the best part of it all. And it doesn't change from being in my last year of eligibility with the NCAA or these kids uh, getting their first taste of middle school ball. It's awesome to see. Yeah, I think I think you referencing about how, you know, that the the famous quote, whatever the whatever the real lines might be, that it's just a kid's game. You know, I always think about they don't say, you know, when the umpire starts it in the first inning, he doesn't say work ball. He says play ball. And I think that that's 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 always a thought that crosses my mind, especially these days. Um, We've talked a little bit about, you know, what the recruiting process looks like and how crazy that can be. And uh, I'm sure we'll go further into that um, as we as we move along through this series. But my my question from there is. How much I know I heard you say the word fun a, a number of times throughout your your answer to my previous question. How much do you think fun 
still plays a factor, even in the whirlwind of, t- of today's atmosphere with a lot of travel ball, a lot of high-level elite stuff, as people tend to call it. Um, with how much work is required, I'm sure you're, you're more than aware of that, um, even at the college level. How much do you think that word fun comes into it? How much do you think, you know, we can still call it a kid's game and we can still say we should have fun, but how important do you think that is? I know here we always talk about energy. We always talk about being a good teammate. And I think that's all related somehow. What's your take on that? How do you think that energy applies? How do you think having fun applies to a game, even in today's atmosphere? Yeah. So, and it's interesting to talk about the fun aspect with how much baseball is a game of failure, right? You know, I mean, even me, I'm one of the older guys in the conference and it's, I go out and I get hit around a bunch too and you know there's so much failure in it that you need to be able to one find the fun and the energy and uh it's it's just bringing it every day and that's something all these kids do you know if it wasn't fun for them i don't think many of them would be here and they wouldn't have a place for it you know especially when you're 14 you're going hey mom take me here hey dad take me here and like if if those kids didn't have that desire to push for it push for it push for it you know they wouldn't have these opportunities to keep playing and the more you do it, like these kids do every day, the better you get. And, you know, when it's a game of failure and you keep getting better, better, and better like these kids are, it's just – it gets more fun because you succeed. We won a ton of ball games this year. We put together a lot of things, and it's it's fun to succeed. It's fun to be around guys, and I think that competitive nature and that having fun, it makes it so much easier. For them, it's just another wiffle ball game. For me, it's just another wiffle ball game because that's the part of it when you're five, six and just swinging the yellow banana bat with the whole balls. You know, that's fun in the front yard, and then you just get to translate it, and you just grow and you progress. It's all just one big progression from that little kid phase to now, as much as it's uber competitive and it's such high-level baseball and, you know, you see a little bit of uptightness, it's still the same fun, and it's exciting. And, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, slow pace and all of this and all that, but that's just what makes those spark moments better, that diving catch, that nice play in the hole. Uh these kids put in the work every single day and they make those fun plays. You know, they put a smile on their buddy's face. You know, uh, we had a couple guys at 14 hit homers this year. And, you know, I, there's <laughs> pictures on Instagram of big smiles on the coach's face as they round third. And, you know, it's, it's those moments that are the fun that everybody's working for. Everybody shows up every day because you never know which moment it's going to be. And you know, they embrace it all the time. Yeah. I think it's really cool to see just how much the kids enjoy it. I know, going through high school and being set on playing college ball and then going through a five-year college baseball career with COVID thrown in in the middle, there's a lot of adversity that you face and it's a really difficult process. You know, you've said the word grind a couple of times. It really is a grind. You really have to want to get after it. You have to be there. And I think, um, what that always brings me back to is we talk a lot about the, the have to versus the get to mentality. And, you know, it can apply in, in a totally, you know, wide variety of of aspects but i mean in in our context of baseball that have to versus want to mentality becomes really important because like you're saying you get to be our age you get to be junior senior in high school and then you go to college if you want to go to the gym you drive yourself to the gym if you want to go hit you drive yourself to the batting cage if you want to go throw you drive yourself to the field when these kids are young they got to say mom dad i I need a ride so I, i mean and um for like you're saying for them to have that desire where it's like i I don't have to go to the baseball warehouse today. I don't have to go to the field today. I don't have to go to the cage today, but I really want to, and I'm going to ask my mom. I think that's a, or or my dad, you know, whatever the situation is, I think that's a really overlooked aspect of all this is that um, as much as 
you know, there's a ton of appreciation that we have for the parents here. And, you know, our operation, seriously, as much as this sounds cliche and as much as this sounds like, you know, just the towing the line and, the, you know, the company line and all that, there's the, the, the operation that we have and operations like ours couldn't run without the parents that we have. And, and uh, you know, there's always there's always stories about somebody's dad gets upset at the umpire or somebody's mom says, why don't you get your butt down on the ground ball? Why are you making errors? But there's a lot of love in that, right? And I think I think that's an overlooked aspect too because you talk about the have-to versus the get-to mentality, right? In, in the same regard as those kids aren't taking it as I have to go to the field today. They're saying I get to go to the field today. Those parents realistically don't have to drive their kids to the field. You know, they're adding something to their plate. It's another um, it's another commitment that they're taking on to to be a part of our program or whatever program they're a part of. And I think it's really important that just to you know fall back on the understanding that all of that passion that they're putting into the game, even when it comes out as you know get your butt down or blue i think you missed that call i think it's all stemming from the the mindset that they want to see their kids succeed you know and i think that's i think that's really important because it's 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 super easy to say we have to act the right way around the umpires and i think it's important to do that it's really important to say we have to stay even keeled but the only reason that hurdles in the way of that come up is because there's passion behind it. You know, people want to see their kids succeed. The kids want to succeed. Everybody is so invested in, in the operation that that's going on that sometimes that passion boils over and, it, and, you know, we've all been in that mentality. We've all wanted to charge the pitcher's mound. We've all wanted to throw at a guy. We've all wanted to, you know, maybe go cleats up in the second base when we're stealing. I don't know what the situation is, but I just think, you know, there's a, there's a lot to be said about the route the root causes of all that and how the, how the passion plays, plays into all that. Um, I think going back to the fun thing, I got off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I know one of our, one of our, uh, mottos that we rallied around at Rutgers Newark last year, I would always tell you guys earn your fun. And, you know, I think as much as we talk about having fun and enjoying it, like it's another wiffle ball game. I love that comparison. I love the analogy, but how do we combine the grind that is, success on the baseball field with the fun of it. So I know I could sit here and talk for another half hour about what my little rallying cry of earn your fun means to me. But from a player's perspective, obviously we talk a bunch, but we kind of stay away from the X's and O's when we're off the field and stuff like that. What does that mean to you? Provide some insight into that, that maybe I wouldn't be able to lend just because I'm not, I'm not between the lines anymore. Yeah. So I think, I think the biggest thing, I mean, we've talked about the grind. Everybody knows that everything out there, you can call it a grind. But I think especially for us, you know, the big thing, we were down on numbers a little bit last year, you know, 11 guys having to carry the weight through 33 games in a season. You know, the the fun of it is that you know you're going to get your innings, but it's the point we've made before where it's not as fun when you play a game of failure and you have to fail. So earning, earning our fun came when we're taking an extra couple minutes to stretch after a day of throwing and it's the earning the fun is running your sixties hard and, you know, getting after it in your condition and throwing and getting your working off the mound and on your plyos. I mean, uh, the way our field's set up at Newark, I don't know how many people have seen it there, but we're throwing our plyos off a brick wall and we're throwing, you know, across a soccer field on our practice field and it's a beautiful facility and I love every bit of it, but it's the stuff where, you know, we make every bit of it work. And, you know, even the days we're stuck in the gym, you know, after we're running suicides up and down, you know, maybe there's the days where we get to mix in a free throw to see how much we run or, 
there's days where you have to just suck it up and run the poles. You know, sprint jog walk for 10 minutes is a staple at the baseball warehouse. It's a staple under pitching coach E at Rutgers Newark where it's, it's, it's not fun. And I've run them outside at Middlesex County College under coach Joe after uh, blowing a lead. And, you know, that's not fun. And I did that as a 16 year old. And, you know, now I got to do it after giving up a crooked number to William Patterson in conference play, you know, those those things are the part of it. When you look back on your success, you got better those days, and that's when you earned your fun. Because the days where it stinks really bad and you just have to go at it and grit your teeth, you know, it's it's those days that count the most. You know, when you, it's the Michael Jordan quote where I don't even know if it was him. Everybody says it these days, but it, it's the days where you don't want to work that you get the best, and it that's it's so true when the seasons get longer and, you know, baseball is a sport where you're playing in the spring, summer, and fall. So these guys are playing upwards of, especially at the younger age. So you're probably playing close to a hundred games a year. We play 33 in two and a half months. So when you go at it for three seasons and then you get six weeks in the winter to prepare, you know, these are the days where it counts. And this is when you earn your fun because when you get to take, you know, a couple of preparation reps that are maybe a little lighter just to get the blood flowing, you know, those are more fun. You know, you get to, you get to run your agility and you get to mix in all the extracurriculars that that get you in good shape and, you know, ease the tension of having to compete every day. Because when it's out there, it's just go, go, go. So those days of the days in the off season and the days in between starts, that's those are the days you earn your fun. You go out there and you have your fun. And it's it's just all part of just one bigger scheme of it. Yeah, I think I I really enjoy the the perspective you have on on kind of a just a just a period of reflection when you're when you're faced with adversity in those moments and being able to to have the fortitude to attack um even the least fun part of your practice or your preparation with the right intent just uh just in an effort to improve. And I think, you know, from a coach's perspective, obviously my goal is to have my guys succeed as often as possible. So I try my best to stay away from that mindset of recovering from uh, from a bad outing because I don't like to think about what the bad outings look like. Of course, they're going to happen, but in an ideal world, we get to stay away from those as often as possible. Um, just just to me, it, you know, if I want to add on briefly to that, I think what what's important to remember is what Danny began with and what Danny closed with really stuck out to me is you have to be able to put yourself in a position to succeed because at the end of the day, succeeding is always going to be more fun than failing, right? Even in a game of failure, like we're talking about, if you can go out there and put up a quality start and throw up six zeros, that's a lot more fun than when you got to get bounced in the second inning after you gave up five. So that's what earning your fun means. And like you're talking about earning your fun, that happens before you get up there on the mound. No matter how bad you want to compete, you have to be able to prepare in such a way that you get to go out there and trust your preparation. Uh, Adam Wainwright had a really good take on it. I know I read Jamie Moyer's autobiography a couple of years ago where he talks about it, where you can't think of your preparation as superstition because then you go out there and you're saying, oh, my last fastball felt weird, and then now you're all thrown off. Or I only threw six breaking balls in the pen today. I usually throw eight, and now your whole start's ruined before it even begins. Um, I think the the big difference to me in earning your fun comes from understanding that we're going to work really hard in our preparation so that when the game comes, we can just go have fun. 
You know, we we put so much work in, like you're saying, these guys at the travel level play a ton of ball games. We don't play a ton of ball games, but we have a ton more practices. Yeah. So we have a ton more opportunities to prepare so that when it comes to game day, my focus, your focus, the team's focus should be trust our preparation, go out there and ball out. And I think if we can prepare the right way and we can keep your perspective on kind of gritting our teeth when we need to, but also getting after it the same way and not slacking just because we had a good outing our last appearance, I think that's what puts us in the mindset where we can kind of take a take a deep breath and just go out there and worrying about enjoying the opportunity we have to play this awesome game that we play when it comes time to when it comes time to game time. So what I want to touch on here while we're both together is just kind of what having a sibling playing ball with you growing up brings to the table. Now, granted, I'm shortening my audience here because obviously everybody listening is not going to have somebody that they grew up with or someone that they are growing up with that they can kind of lean on to to be able to do the same things that Danny and I did. But I think what's really cool about places like the baseball warehouse these days is the community that it builds. So what what we had growing up and what we had at the baseball warehouse growing up was a bunch of guys that we were always around, but obviously living under the same roof that provided us a little bit different, a little more intimate of an element, uh, if you want to call it that. So I just think what did, I know I could definitely provide some perspective on this, but this isn't something that you and I talk about too much with each other. What did, what did it bring to the table for you that we were always able to play catch together, throw together, hit together, go to the weight room together, like growing up, even playing wiffle ball in the yard together when we were eight years old. Like, what do you think, what kind of foundation do you think that set? And what did that, what kind of role did that play for you in your development as a ball player? Yeah, I think, I think that was honestly a huge part of it. You know, I mean, it's no secret that, you know, you touched on it before your fastball velo was always a little higher. So, you know, I was always, I always had something to chase and that chase was built in because, you know, you get the brotherly competition and it's not just chasing somebody around you because he doesn't go away. You know, we leave the weight room and he's still got to drive me home. And, you know, sometimes our mom's picking us up and, you know, even now at Newark, I'm, I'm not competing against you. I'm competing for you. But it's still, I'm trying to get to a level where you were and a level of success that I've always tried to emulate my entire life. And, I mean, it's not even so much just a competition point because, you know, we've never had that, like, oh, I'm just trying to beat you out type of thing. It's just it's just a sense of how can I take his information and his success and how can I apply it to myself? You know, I was, you, there's, the, there's the awesome uh, transformation picture on your Instagram where you're this tall, lanky kid as a freshman and then you're... 40 pounds heavier as a senior in high school. And, you know, it's kind of like, how do I become that? Because, you know, as much as I'm two years behind you, my development was also two years behind because I, after you were just done being lanky, I was growing out of it. So it's where, what can I take? What can I improve upon and do differently? And what can I do the same? And it's, it's staring you right in the face every single day. You know, there, there were the points where it's like, damn, this sucks. He's so good because I'm trying to be that good. It was never just like a, negative competition it always gave me something to push for and i mean uh we've had all of our success and you know i would call you after starts when you're thrown in virginia and i'm thrown in the balls cold in new jersey and it's two completely different experiences but it's the information gathering and the the adaptability that you need to be a competitor at such a high level of all of college baseball it's the the sharing and the the just different perspective, you know, we throw from different sides, we played at different levels, but it's all the same. Like we're pitchers thrown against hitters. And, you know, it's, it's more of just 
I have this huge source of information around me my entire time. So when I can't figure it out like that, I know where I can go. And it's, it's always been fun. And I mean, I tell the story all the time of last fall, you know, I get three innings in a fall scrimmage um, against whatever Juco we played. I think it was RVCC and I retired the first eight and I get a mound visit from the pitching coach and I'm standing on the mound. What is going on here? And he gets to the mound and he goes, Hey, just going to take a second to let mom take a picture. So, you know, it's, it was, I think it was at that point that I really realized that, you know, we like, it was almost a sense of, man, we've made it here. Like it's, it's that it's all has paid off, you know, all of this. It's every 5.30 lift in the morning. It's every 9 o'clock at the warehouse, and it's every minute of the day in between, you know, long tossing to each other on the dead end and hitting in the cage at Rutgers while uh, our dad goes and throws laundry in. You know, it's all of those days that, man, we're at this point where he's coaching college baseball and I'm playing college baseball. It's how did we get here from being those little kids where, you know, this was this wasn't even a dream yet because we didn't even know it was out there, and now we're at a point where you can finally sit back and realize and have that self actualization where this is the this is the reality of what we've built, and I mean it's not possible without without having that source of information, that brotherly connection, and just being there every step of the way. And I think that's something too, especially from the coaching spot. You know, I, I'll never get the chance to coach you, <laughs> but uh, I, I I like to think I'm an easy person to coach, but how like just managing all these guys you know i'll let you touch on all the brotherly stuff but you know it's a it's a bond on that staff too where you're coaching you're coaching a ton of different guys so what is that like for you in that arena so what danny doesn't want to address about me going to the me taking a mound visit for our mom to take a picture was that after he retired the first date on like 15 pitches he went 3-0 to the next batter <laughs> Worked his way back to 3-2 and then threw a fastball over the umpire yep. to walk the kid. It was so, probably the hardest one I'd thrown all fall, but it, it was close to hitting the lake behind the backstop. Yeah, I mean, listen, if we're going to miss, we might as well let it eat, right? <laughs> so um, as, uh, as a big fan of Danny Reardon, I thought that was pretty funny. But as Danny Reardon's pitching coach, I couldn't have been more upset that I just threw him a bone and tried to do something <laughs> cool. And then all of a sudden, he's walking the next oh, guy. Yeah. But um, that's neither here nor there. Um, I think... Um, just to touch on the, uh, the, the, having your, having your brother around you when you're, you know, um, chasing after the same goals your whole life. I just think from my perspective as the older one, I mean, abilities aside, I think that the connection to life is always what was important to me. I knew that, you know, maybe one day Danny was going to be better than me. Maybe not. Maybe one day Danny was going to lift more than me, throw harder than me. Maybe not. I, I knew from the little bit of a sibling rivalry kind of aspect, I guess that I didn't want to let that happen. Um, but aside from that, like as it connects to life in my perspective, I think what always meant more to me was just the type of role model I wanted to be. And I think, um, you know, it, it, it makes it, you know, without getting too, too sappy with it, because that's just not what we do. Lost. Um, yeah, I mean like getting, you know, getting calls, um, from Danny after starts, you know, that, that outing in Virginia, he's talking about, I pitched that day and I, it was the second outing of my freshman year. I got out the Cape batting title leader to lead off the inning. I then got Paven Smith out, who is now the first baseman for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And then I faced Adam Hazley. So Adam Hazley was playing center field for the Phillies opening day this season. Um, 
I get him to 0-2. I throw a slider in the dirt. It's now 1-2. I get the fastball up and in call. I made the best pitch of my entire life. I think it was 90 miles an hour right under his chin. And he barreled it oppo over the bleachers in left center field. Um, I gave up a home run again to the next batter. And then right after Danny called me that night, uh, we were in my buddy's dad's hotel room. And he goes, E, look, you're on TV. And it was me giving up back-to-back jacks after I got the first two batters out. So as much as I'll bust his chops a little bit for walking that guy after my fun mound visit, um, you know, I certainly I certainly wasn't uh, wasn't always making the best pitches in every appearance. But um, just even, even like, we, you know, we talk about working hard all the time and earning your fun and just putting yourself in good positions. For me to be able to get a call from my brother in a situation like that and say, hey, this is how my outing went today. What do you have on this? And then for me to say, well, I kind of got shit on today, too. And, you know, so we can just the ability to bounce those ideas back and forth off of each other. I think as much as there might be like an older sibling, younger sibling type of aspect to it i think it's also important to note that like we've just always spoken the same language i know even even our girlfriends now and our mom now him and i'll have conversations and they're like i like you guys just communicated for 20 minutes and i don't know what you're saying (laughs) and and i think that's always been something that's really important to us is just like we have like baseball the the weight that baseball holds i mean people talk about how how momentous and how impactful sports can be but i mean from a first-hand perspective just the weight that this game has held and the impact it's had on us and our ability to spend time around each other and continue to develop our relationship and stay as tight as we've been um has been something that uh, you know i like i think i'd like to think no matter what kind of path we took in life we still would have had a had as close a relationship as we do but i think Baseball has just magnified that, and it's given us an opportunity, like I said, to be a part of a community. And then when you see the the abilities that the community has to provide an impact, well, you better magnify that inside your own home if we're going to spend so much time around each other. So I just think, you know, my my expectation for myself was always to be the guy that you could make that phone call to. But then when I was on the other end of that phone call, I wanted to be able to speak the same language. And I think that's something that became really important to me. Um and then, you know, after after my little rant there, to get back to your question, um, you definitely are an easy player to coach. I mean, um, we we just had a we had a kid finishing up a lesson in here while Danny was um, starting to do his bands and uh, get his plyos in for his throwing program. And apparently the dad said to Danny that, hey, your brother's really proud of you. So um, as much as we might chirp each other at home, um, I do say good things about you behind your back. <laughs> So that's one of, one of the cooler things. Yeah, I mean, uh, Mr. Bonds threw me right under the bus there. He didn't he didn't <laughs> let he didn't let me uh, like keep any of my dignity there. But no, I mean, um, I tell people all the time, like you, you make my job easy because when I turn my back, I know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it's pretty cool to have you as a captain on the team and a guy that those that the other guys on the team can look up to and say, you know, I think my style might have been a little bit different than yours when it came to that aspect, being a, being a captain in New Brunswick compared to you being a captain in Newark. But regardless, the the leading by example piece is always paramount. Yeah. That always means more than anything else. When guys can turn around and say, you know what, Danny's doing what he's supposed to, Eric's doing what he's supposed to, Johnny's doing what he's supposed to, whoever the guy might be. If you have the ability to lead by example, you don't really have to say anything. Any 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 words you bring to the table after that are just icing. But as much as we talk about earning our fun, you kind of have to be able to earn that reputation to get under a guy when you need to. And if you're always doing the things you're supposed to, that's what earns you that reputation. You start to realize how to apply it when you need to. 
what was always important to me and what I think is cool to watch you do now is you learn how to hold guys accountable and it holds more weight when you're always doing what you're supposed to be doing. So I know that's what was important to me was anytime someone turns around and looks at me, I got to be doing what I'm supposed to because I know if he's not, I'm going to say something about it. And I don't want him to be able to tell me, well, you were supposed to do eight reps and you only did six. So why do I have to do my eight? And I think that like from a, from how easy it is to coach you, what kind of a player you are to coach. I think that's, that's, what's been awesome from my perspective is like, when I give you guys your daily work, you do it. When I give you your conditioning, you do it. When I ask you to go, you know, give me a hundred percent of what you got on your, on your start day, you do it. So other, you know, you set an example that other guys can really look to. And that's about my full battery of nice things I have to say to you for tonight. <laughs> so I'll cap it there. But down. then how, how that applies to everybody else on the staff is definitely an interesting aspect. Um, I think what makes my life easy is even though I came in last year as a new guy, I had a foundation where I knew you already. And you had a reputation where you were friendly with these other guys on the team and, and they were, you know, you becoming a captain had nothing to do with me getting there. So you had already developed this reputation for yourself. And I think um, my ability to kind of make that introduction quickly, I know on the first day I said, listen, Danny's my brother. And if you think that's impacting your playing time or his playing time, then you got to look yourself in the mirror because that's a you thing. That's not a me thing. And I think that was able to set the tone where it was like, I told everybody that I'm going to put more pressure on him than the next guy just because I don't want there I don't want any idea of nepotism or whatever going on. So I think for me to be able to kind of set the standard and say listen, he's going to have to work harder than everybody else to get up to the level playing field just because I don't want to leave any doubt about any type of advantage going on. But then to turn around after that like I said before and have Danny doing what he's supposed to do all the time I didn't have I didn't have to do much. I, I was able to go in there and just kind of preach these guys what information I had. I was able to talk about my philosophies about the game. I was able to talk X's and O's. I love talking mechanics in the bullpen. Um, so I got to stick to a lot of the baseball stuff while you were able to kind of put the rest of the stuff that might have come up to rest. Just because you're always you're always kind of you're always on on the straight and narrow when it comes to your baseball work. So. Um, it's been cool to develop a relationship with those guys where we I think I think we're a little bit tighter of a crew than traditionally just because you know when I go down to the bullpen to make conversation as much as I'm coach E on game day or I'm coach E at practice there's also an element to it where I'm Danny's brother and so what I tell the guys is you know I'm I'm 24 years old I'm going to be 25 here in a couple months I just stopped playing college baseball a year and a half ago I was like, I'm closer to being in your shoes than I am to being in your, you know, 60 year old high school coach's shoes. So I think the just how tight we can be and the type of understanding we can have for each other where it's like, listen, I know what it feels like to not want to do your conditioning today. I know what it feels like when the coach comes and pulls you in the first inning. I know what it feels like when you're not getting the innings you think you should be getting. I know what all those feelings are, and I think that relatability factor has been what's really important. So I get to relate on a personal level because of my relationship with Danny, but I also get to relate on a baseball level because very recently, comparatively, I was going through the same things as you guys. And I think that's been it's been super advantageous for me just to have the ability to connect on that personal level and then the ability to parlay that into the into the baseball aspect of it all and kind of get back to X's and O's once we've established that you know we can all be 
we can all be on the same level kind of in like a social aspect, I guess, for lack of a better word. And then that can keep us all on the same path when it comes to the baseball aspect. We can, we can expect more of each other because we've built a relationship that doesn't just rely on, you know, me coming to the field and prescribing your throwing and conditioning. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think we all benefited from having a guy who could come in and say, this is how we're going to do it. And it wasn't like a forceful, put your fist down. This is what we're going to do. It was more of a, uh, this is what I've been around and I've been around a lot of success. And we had a group of guys who were chomping at the bit to get better and succeed. And I think we did a ton of that. Uh, like you referenced, we had a really close tight knit group of guys and, you know, I'd go to bat for every single guy on our staff. And I know all of our entire team would too. And just to see the guys around me take those strides, we really, we really created an environment that, you know, just produced success. And the good thing about it is we have another year where we're coming up on another season where I, I expect, I know you expect as a coach where I've seen all the guys around me get better. And, you know, it's really just a testament to the people there. It wasn't ever a scenario where it was someone's taking our innings. It was always, we got to do this because we're on the staff. You know, there was a, there was a point where a couple guys were going pitchers against the world, and that was our within staff ten guy. This is what we're going to do, and you know we all took that as a how can we put ourselves and the the position guys behind us in the best position to uh, to win some ball games. And I mean we won we won a good amount last year, and we're going to win a good amount more this year. And I I really think the environment benefited from you know, having those pieces fall into place. We went through a coaching change the year before. We were adding the pieces. We all knew something was coming. We were just waiting for someone to fall in line with. And once we got that perspective, it was really unique that, you know, as much as you were my brother, you were the coach and you were the guy that we all needed to get behind. And once we were on a plan, it was, you know, I've seen I've seen a bunch of the guys below me come in as freshmen and develop into these these strong kids who throw harder and get guys out and throw nasty pitches. And, you know, it's awesome to see the success around me. And a lot of that, like it, it's a lot of credit to the systems that I've been around and you coming in and our program just taking steps in the right direction, you know, from a, from a player standpoint, it's definitely been a fun growth to make, you know, personally I've gotten better too. And, you know, it's a product of the people who have been around me in our program as players, the coaches who have come through, you know, we take the bits and pieces we get from everybody and we make our own mold. And, you know, the biggest thing is that is that, that mold fits somewhere, and I think we're putting a lot of the good pieces together. And it's it's really fun to be a part of and develop into because we're, all of our paths are different, but at the end of the day, we all end up on the same mound, and it's still 60 feet, 6 inches away, and there's still somebody trying to get a hit off of us. So I think that's just been really cool. Yeah, the game never changes. And, I, I mean, you know, I just, as, as Danny's telling you know, given uh, given his piece, his piece of the story here, I'm just thinking about how we kind of had an example of this very early in our life when our mom was our rec basketball coach. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was the same way, man. When you're playing rec basketball when you're 10 years old, everybody takes a three-pointer that gets blocked and they're crying. And, like, you know, Mama Reardon didn't play. Mama Reardon did not play. We had to call her Coach Meg when we were at practice. We couldn't call her mom. It was a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, for for her background she was the she was at the time and rumor has it she still is the only female ever in the history of Clearview Regional High School to win athlete of the year she was a beast a oh, yeah. beast i cannot overstate it played tennis ran track 
played basketball, probably did like six other things that she can't remember. Super talented, super skilled, does everything. Woman of the century. Not even close. Um, and we're very biased when we say that. Of course, we have a ton of respect for all of the all of the mothers in our program and all of the moms that have played a piece in our in our journey thus far. Um, but um, so she went on after all of those high school accolades to play Division three college basketball at Ithaca College in upstate New York before uh, transferring back to to Rutgers later on in her college career. But I think that wasn't even something that I had put together until just now when we're having this conversation. And maybe that's the value of it. But, you know, we had we had Coach Meg, don't call me mom, on our, you know, guiding the ship of our rec basketball team, the Heat, back in the day when we were 10, 11, 12 years old, whatever it was. So um, instilled so much, I walk in the house and say, what's up, Coach E? You know? Yeah, it's and it's the same way. And, you know, every time he hits me with that, I say, what's up, player? So, um <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it's important, even if it's just quickly here to touch on, you know, the the impact. I told I gave a little insight into our story about our connection to Rutgers and the university and our upbringing and all that. But just the impact that that mom and dad have had on our journey so far. I think you know we talked a little bit about earlier earlier in this episode about you know how how much of a commitment the parents have to make to this journey, and I think. You know, I know when I sit back here and start reflecting on all the opportunities mom and dad gave us, it's it's astounding to think about, you know, the positions that they've put us in to get here. And, I, you know, these are thoughts that bounce around in my brain all the time. I'd love to hear just like what your take is on, on how, you know, the, the impact mom and dad have had on your journey so far. Yeah, and I think uh, I think the biggest, it all starts with, you know, when we were running around as little kids and, you know, dad would go and throw in laundry he would be the only one in college Ave, and he'd say, why don't you guys come and shoot some free throws, shoot some hoops, and, you know, when we'd be at the rack, drop the cage down, take some swings off the tee. So, you know, having having that source of motivation and that figure that's like, here's, here's everything you need to succeed, I'm giving you the pieces, go do it. You know, he would step in, he'd throw live, he'd throw front toss, and, you know, he might not have been the best at front tossing. It seems pretty easy now that I've been a coach for a year, just fill it up. But uh, we got our swings in, you know, maybe that's why I hit the outside pitch a little bit when I used to swing. But, I mean, and then you'd go home and, you know, mom would be there and it's like, how'd you do? When are you doing it next? Right. You know, and it, it even starts when we were shooting hoops at the dead end. You know, we'd have 10 kids out there from the neighborhood shooting a basketball. And, you know, they gave not only us, but everybody around us, you know, we raised two college pitchers here, you know, we had a thousand point score at New Brunswick played on our hoop, uh, a football player at the college level. And, you know, it's, you know, our mom and dad did that. You know, we were, we had the house and we had the dead end where it was, this is our hoop, go play. I don't care who you are. You bring your own ball. I don't care if it's seven fifteen or just getting dark. You know? Yeah, I mean, we got we got the yard with the with the bushes that play the home run wall. And when you get tired <laughs> of hooping, you go pick up the wiffle ball bats and play wiffle ball. Yeah, and I think uh, the other good part of it too, you know, uh, mom had some. I would love to know her mile count on split in time between us playing, you know, you in New Brunswick and all over the area, and then coming up to games in Newark and all over New Jersey. You know, she had the greatest spring break of all time, spending. Just- Incredible. In Hawaii with Rutgers baseball this past year and taking a direct flight to Florida to watch my start. And, you know, she's uh, – if you had to count how many games we've played in our lives and how many she's been at, there's not few where she wasn't in the crowd. So she's been 
the number one supporter of all time. She went from coach to just the fan on the sideline, and you know it's awesome to to stand on the mound. And, you know, someone hits a foul ball over that way, and you know it's oh hey mom, look she's over there. You know I'm not not sitting over there picking out everybody in the crowd, but you know when you get to sit there and have that little piece in the back of your mind where you know my mom's here today. It's a uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty fun feeling to have inside, and it's always a good supporter whether. Whether the day goes great and she's giving you the congratulations hug or the pat on the back and saying, well, today wasn't great, but now you know you have to keep working. You know, it's like I said before, it's just the motivators in our lives who give us all of the opportunities to continue to do it. You know, before we could take take the reins as much as possible as we grew up, they gave us more and more. And, you know, they set that foundation for us to succeed. And, and they were the ones who got us off and running to where we are. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about the level of credit that our parents deserve and I'm sure I'm sure that applies across the board. I can't imagine a situation where kids go through a similar similar process as we do where you know you play travel ball when you're growing up and then you go play in college and you're playing your high school games and, it, and whatever you go get a you go get a job after you graduate and your parents are saying uh, well I hope you move home so you don't spend all your money. I know a lot of my buddies are going through that right now. And um what was always cool for me was, you know, dad had the ability to get us in so we could go shoot hoops or so we could go hit or so we could go long toss or whatever at the facilities. But then every once in a while, dad would say, you know, after dinner wraps up, he goes, I'm going to the rack. Are you coming? And it was like, I don't feel like it. And then mom goes, well, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean you're not going today? So she was always there to kind of like drive that, you know, that little extra motivation. Well, you know, I can turn my dad down maybe because I go with him all the time. But when my mom says, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. I guess I better go. I better listen to my mother. Yeah. Um, you know, even even to this day, I you know, we had 6 a.m. lift in Newark this morning and we both came home and we're ready to go take a nap. And she goes, well, make sure you bring your hampers downstairs before you go to bed. And you best believe <laughs> they got downstairs. So um and then what was always really cool for me was, like, why didn't you guys sack Bun in that situation? Why didn't the runner steal? Why did he steal? Like, I think these days in the in the community and the circles that we run in, everybody's mom understands baseball and everybody's yeah. mom knows what they're looking at. And that's really cool. And and not that we're that old, but back in the day, it was it felt unique to me to be able to come home and be like, yeah, mom, I played okay. And she'd be like, I don't think you really did. Like, I, I don't know if you and I, if you were playing the same game that I was watching. We yeah. So as much as, you know, the encouragement was there, I hate, I hate to, to sit here and act like she was just a Debbie Downer all the time because that certainly wasn't the case. I mean, Danny's right, number one supporter, always there. Um, I mean, my my first start in college was a midweek at Florida Atlantic. I found out on Tuesday that I was starting the game on Wednesday night, and she found a way to get there. And same thing, she wants to go take a trip to Hawaii, so she gets hooked up with a trip to Hawaii, but she's only there long enough so that she can make it back to Florida in time to see Danny start on the mound. So just undying, just relentless support, and just relentless motivation. Even now, like, you know, I'm I'm telling her a couple nights ago that I'm thinking about actually diving into this podcast thing, and she says, well, I want to see the logos you made up, and you better show me the episodes. So, I mean, whatever the context is, um, just superhero, superwoman. Oh, yeah. And what, you know, just 
our experience with dad growing up was very much the same, you know, where he had, you know, he would take us with him to, to go, you know, play basketball or throw the baseball around or get some extra swings in. And it was, it was every night we wanted to, the opportunity was there for us. So we were super fortunate and th- that he could do that for us, but also that he was willing to do that for us. And, you know, he didn't have to bring us to work with us in the summertime. He didn't have to expose us to all those awesome Rutgers baseball players back in the day when we were that young. And, you know, I don't know if he even saw the value in it or if he just wanted to hang out with us a little while longer or if, you know, he wanted to give the babysitter a break from us for the day. I don't know what his motivation was, but what I do know is that, you know, he didn't have to do what he did. Mom didn't have to do what she did. They don't have to do now what they do now. And just really thankful and you know i guess the message to take away from this is i talked a little bit in the previous episode about being able to reflect and kind of taking in the whole picture and putting all the puzzle pieces together when it comes to baseball in this context when it comes to life as it relates to baseball guys that are listening to this that are playing middle school high school you're playing in little league you're playing in college maybe we reach out to some big leaguers i don't know please take the time to say thank you to your parents buy your dad a six-pack give your mom a hug do the dishes after she cooks you dinner like all that all that little stuff like and believe me we're not going to go home and say this to them oh no not at all but I'm sure they'll see the episode probably before anybody else does because they're going to be breathing down our neck to see what it turned out like. But the the important part is if uh, if it feels sappy and it doesn't feel cool to tell your mom you love her or give your dad a hug or do something nice, you should just do it anyway because then you end up where you're 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 24 and 22 years old and you can sit here when you're trying out a new venture and just kind of reflect on how much your parents have meant to you. And you don't have to say, holy shit, I need to call my mom right now. You can say, you know, as much of an understanding as we have between each other of what our parents meant to us, I think our parents are fully aware that, that we love them and we appreciate what they've done for us. So as much as they're going to do it anyway, because they want to see you guys succeed. I know our parents wanted to see us succeed. And if we were, you know, if we were annoying and we were brats, they would have done it anyway. There's no doubt in my mind. But it feels a lot better when you're not a brat and you can kind of reciprocate and, and you know, give thanks and give credit where it's due. Um, so we are approaching our one hour time here went by a lot faster than i thought yeah it's been a great conversation you know we hang out all the time but we don't get a chance to talk like this and kind of go through the memories and stuff that being said i would love to cap the episode if you can think of some baseball or not so baseball related story that would be fun to share with the uh, with the audience here oh man you left the door wide open I'm trying to think. Well, I'll lead us off then, and I'll share one that me and Danny said we wouldn't share, but it really puts me under the bus, so I think I'll go ahead and do it here. Very, very barely related to the baseball warehouse. So a couple years ago, um, two cars ago, I was driving an old beat-up Ford Ranger, (laughs) and I had come under the impression, this is before I had a a display that showed me how many miles till empty I had. It just was the old-fashioned gauge that went to E. Um, so I was under the impression that when my gauge got to E, I had about 20 miles left. So winter break, Danny and I drive here from North Brunswick to come get our lift and our throwing in. 
And right as we pull into the baseball warehouse, the gauge gets to E. So I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'll fill it up on the way home. We'll hit the Wawa on Livingston Ave. Won't be a problem. We get to the light at George Street. So if you're familiar with the area, you pass the Elks building on your left. The, uh, the State Theater, the Playhouse is on your right. Um, the Heldrich is right there. We make that left as the light turns green. And as I get through the intersection, car runs out of gas. Power steering turns off. Just to this day, can't really express how excited I was that I didn't conk out in the middle of the road and that we were able to make it to a parking spot on the curb. So, turn you know, turn the key, turn the car off, turn it back on. It's not going anywhere. I was like, well, we're definitely out of gas. So we got to come up with a plan. Danny, you stay here. I'm going to go across the street to the library. I'm going to call an Uber. Danny throws on Netflix. I go across the street to call an Uber. Roll the windows down so he's like a dog in there and he doesn't get uh he doesn't get, you know, blasted by the heat, suffocate whatever it might have been. I go across the street to the library, I call an Uber, I take the Uber home. I grab a gas can that's usually used for the lawnmower. Yeah. And a nice bike off the top shelf of the garage. Yep, we unhook the bike or I unhook the bike from the top shelf in the garage. I throw the gas can into a old drawstring backpack. And I'm pedaling. I think it's like I think it's like two and a half miles, yeah. maybe three miles. We're all the way down one end of Livingston Ave. The car had conked out at the other, and there was only one way to get it where it needed to go. So I take the gas can, three gallon, five gallon, whatever it might have been. I'm pedaling. I'm pedaling. I'm pedaling. I get about a half mile in. Boom! Chain pops. Flip the bike over. Put the chain back on. Get the pedal spinning. Pedal, 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 pedal. About a mile further down the road, boom, chain pops again. Same thing. Flip it over, chain back on. Finally get down there. There's a police officer sitting in the bank parking lot right out front of where we had pulled over and parked the truck. So I'm like, well, I know this looks kind of sketchy, but it's innocent. But, you know, I just added another element. In this day, you know, in the last hour of my life, of our life at that point, we didn't need another variable thrown in there. So... In the most discreet way I possibly could, being a scared, whatever, 18, 19-year-old at the time, I put the bike in the bed of the truck. I pop the gas can open, open up the uh, the nozzle on the on the truck, pour the three or five gallons in whatever it was. We chunk it down the road to Wawa. Broke college student. I don't have any money in the bank account. Find a Wawa gift card for $10 buried deep in my wallet. Swipe it, put 10 bucks in the tank. We make it home, and until this day, him and I are the only ones that know the story. One time we went out to a family dinner not too long ago when we were crossing that uh, that same intersection, and I was like, hey, Danny, ground zero. <laughs> and mom goes, what? And I was like, I'll tell you when you're older. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not a baseball story, but we were coming from the baseball warehouse, and I think that's a good one to share to kind of put together the pieces of, uh, you know, the, the, the just how, you know, how, how it all really – is connected oh, whether you think it's going to be or not so in the, in the final baseball part of that car in the some of its last days it saw a nice long toss throw to the windshield in our yes. dead end i tried to make yes. the play i went full stretch over the hood and just not enough length in the 6-3 frame to uh catch the ball from hitting the windshield yeah if you park your car on the same street that you and your brother or your buddy long toss on just make sure you get that car out of the way uh, before you do, otherwise you're bound to hit that windshield sooner or later. So yeah, I mean that we, you know, that uh, that old Ford Ranger sure went through a lot in its time, <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, it, it went out not so peacefully, getting buried into the woods somewhere in Hillsboro. But, um, yeah, you know, fill your gas tank, get the car out of the way when uh, when you're long tossing, and make sure you stop at stop signs. <laughs> so I'm thinking in the, in the setting of the baseball warehouse, we have to tell one of the better um, uh, summer team stories that I have. So we're playing the uh, – 8.30 a.m., first game of the tournament out in Long Island. Our leadoff hitter for the game, Will Horanich, one of the most electric players of all time, not afraid to get in somebody's grill, not afraid to chirp, takes pitch number one of the game to the ribs, picks up the ball off the ground, faces the pitcher, and licks his fingers and tosses it back. And it was... Uh, it might have been the earliest benches have ever cleared on planet Earth. <laughs> First game of the tournament, we're 17. Kids have never seen anything like that. So uh, I'm telling the story coaching this year to uh, to my team. And go figure, you know, jogging it down to the third base coach's box. First pitch of the game is parked right in our batter's ribs. And I'm going, he's going to lick his fingers. <laughs> and I'm going to get in so much trouble. But uh, luckily we didn't. Our... Uh, our leadoff hitter Brady gets to third, and he goes, "Coach, I really should have done it, man. I'm sorry." <laughs> <laughs> one of one of the better full circle stories that I have so far, and I look forward to uh, plenty more coming in the next few years of coaching because uh, that's the kind of stuff that makes it fun, and that's the kind of stuff you you love to see from those guys. Yeah, I mean, it really you talk about full circle. It kind of brings our brings our conversation here full circle when we lead off the uh, we lead off at the top of the show talking about what what role fun plays in baseball and you know if if that's not fun on a baseball field I'm not sure I, I know what it is. is just you know for a little bit of context there too that was either the first or the second game I ever helped coach Joe out coaching so I'm standing there deer in the headlights not even knowing what I'm supposed to do and the first pitch of this game at 8:30 in the morning the kid licks his fingers and picks it up and throws it back you had to the no pitch yeah and I mean listen you know, we talk about the the role that fun plays. You guys won a ton of ball games. So, and and again, just how how it comes full circle and the connection that it makes. We talk about earning our fun. When you know you're going to show up to the field and you know you're going to ball out and you know you got you're going to give every team you play a run for their money and you're going to put your best foot forward when it comes to how you play, you can get away with that stuff. Oh, yeah. You can incorporate the fun into the game so long as you earn it with the abilities, the way you play, how you get after it to prepare for those opportunities. And I'm pretty sure we backed it up with a mercy rule that game. They, they didn't stand a chance from pitch one. Yeah, you really, you really set the table and you set the tone early when you make a statement. Early and often, right? Oh, yeah. Make a statement, set the tone, let everybody know how it's going to go when you get to the field. Well, listen, man, it's been it's been a blast um, having our having our first conversation on site at the baseball warehouse here. I think um, we'll definitely be able to mix this in again in the future. But um, it's been awesome to uh, to have this conversation with you and sit down for the first time and kind of go after it here and chomp at the bit a little bit. So we'll do this again for sure. But like I said, it's been it's been a ton of fun doing this. So what we should do here. Share with everybody how to reach you on social media, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you want to share. Let people know how to get at you. Yeah, Instagram and Twitter are the same handle, Danny Reardon12, uh, D-A-N-N-Y-R-E-A-R-D-O-N-12 for those scoring at home. That's probably the best way to reach me. Um, I'm on there a ton. You know, all you warehouse guys, I've started to follow you back because I got chirped in the summer for just accepting them and not coming back. But uh, I've spent enough time around you guys. You could definitely go drop me a follow there. And uh, 
we'll definitely keep you guys posted as these come out more and we get to expand it and see where this takes us. It's a lot of fun and I can't wait to be back on it and see who else we can get on here on the mic because uh, that's coming soon. We got a lot of good ideas coming for you guys. Yeah, definitely, definitely excited. Danny's Danny's a good follow on the social media. Just getting into the coaching game now, and to see uh, see how he's able to balance the the playing and the coaching. So you know, if if you're interested, hit him up. Um, I know as far as the podcast goes, as far as the show goes, we are in production on a Green Grass and White Bases Instagram, TikTok, Twitter account right now. So check those out. Um, hopefully, by the time this this episode goes live, we'll have those accounts live for you guys. Um, I'll give myself a shameless shout out personally, and this will be the only time I ever do it. It's er35ic on Instagram. It's e underscore reardon18 on Twitter. Um, follow me there. I retweet a lot of the uh, a lot of the coaching stuff I see um, because I haven't uh, I haven't put it together to tweet my ideas yet. So I figure why not get in front of the camera and the microphone and talk about it this way. Um, so yeah, if you guys want to check us out, check us out. Hopefully our, uh, green grass and white bases, social media accounts are up and live by the same time that this episode is Danny. It's been awesome. A lot of fun talking to you here. We'll definitely do this again. Uh, excited to see where this show takes us. And, uh, that's a wrap. Oh yeah. That's so fun. your final score, one final time. It's 10 14 PM here in Highland park at the baseball warehouse for green grass and white bases. And for Danny Reardon, I'm Eric Reardon signing off. Cause it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the